You're right, mate. Just before we get into the show, just wanted to thank you for listening to the show. I wanted to remind you that there's a Patreon if you want to, you know, chuck us a couple of quid as a little thank you or, you know, as a little bit of, you know, make the show better. Here's three quid. Well, it's up to you, you know. There's also a red bubble if you fancy some uh, T-shirts and that. There's one with Mothman with his cock out. There's one with Mothman without his cock out. And there's a load of the taxidermy stuff now on T-shirts and quotes from other people that they've said to me on, on online and that when they've been giving me abuse. I'll let you get into the show. Alright guys, I'm the world around you and this is Pause for Thought on Fresh Old FM, a show that according to one security guard from a very well-known energy drink provider, changed their whole outlook on life. And honestly, you know, as far as reviews go, I feel like I could do with a few more at a minute rather than the messages that I got saying, you know, like, where do you even get your information from? Have you at some point succumbed to a head injury? And I like your dead animals and, and your ramblings and that on your live streams, but why are you so hung up on demonic interdimensional entities as soon as you're in that cupboard? So, this week, I'm going to be dead honest with you guys, this week is the third time I've recorded this show, because the first time I had audio dropouts for about half an hour, so I thought, fuck it, do it again. Then I had uh, the whole recording itself corrupted because the battery fell out of the computer, so... If I sound a little bit pissed off, it's not because I'm angry at the at the people who uh, I'm going to be talking about. It's not because of that. It's, it's just because this has took me a very, very long time now. And I've been in this cupboard in the dark for maybe two, two and a half hours, give or take. It's, uh, it's, been, a, it's been a long, a very fucking long morning. But this week, I thought what I'd do is I'd take a... Uh, a look at what is probably like a quite a confusing event, and it, it well, it definitely is. So it's set deep in the Russian mountains. It's, it's Dyalatov Pass, obviously. Like I've spoken about it with Jimmy on Truth Seeking on the first episode, and I have been a, I have been on a, an American podcast as well, talking about it called the Cosmic Closet Podcast. But unfortunately, a, like a catabolic wind came down the street and unfortunately destroyed their USB drive off the roof of the car, which. It's a shame because I thought you know, it was a good episode, but it's, it's weird how everything to do with this fucking ep- this Dialatov pass fucks up. And it maybe, maybe it's got something to do with the big day. Maybe it's got something to do with the. Um, apparently, when you look this stuff up in Russia, nothing at all appears. Completely fabricated and made up. Now that makes me wonder: Are the Russians trying to hide it and cover it up, or is Dialatov pass and the incident surrounding it? Is that the same thing as what Russia's supposedly been doing with America and Europe by trying to make misinformation campaigns, fake news, fake myths, and push it to the masses through conspiracy theories and through podcasts? And America's gone, you know what, fuck it, we'll make one of our own, we'll set it in one of the mountains, and we'll we'll kind of base it on Roswell. Who knows? I, I don't really know, but there has been some interesting developments in the case. So I thought that we'd give... Well, we'd go through the... Uh, you know the incident itself, a bit of what happened with it, and then we'll we'd focus on the the new stuff that's come out about it. So it's back. It, it's set back in in you know in the in a, a while ago in the late nineteen fifties, as as late as you can go in the nineteen fifties. Not like as late back, but as like as late as late as like nineteen fifty nine, like the latest you can have of the nineteen fifties, and it was all led by a bloke by the name of Igor Dialatov who decided that he'd lead an expedition into the Ural Mountains, and specifically, he wanted to take a team up the Collet Skyle, 
And now I, I, I'd normally not be one for watching that sort of thing, innit? But the thumbnail was quite deceiving. And I'd finished before any real sort of exploring had started. So I, I thought, you know, I'll be still I'll be alright in the eyes of the Lord and that. So anyway, this this journey though would end in, in a place that's incomprehensible to, to most people other than maybe like Gary Busey who allegedly once described the final destination of these people as a land without mirrors which is a quote I enjoyed this week because of course all the people that Igor did coax into his Yordle Passage ended up in heaven well well, all but one of them and, and we'll discuss him a little bit later because he raises you know the age old question of does it really count if they don't finish so let's have a song and, and we'll get into the story. This is the Alex Goose remix of Thugging by Freddie Gibbs and Madlib. Igor himself, uh, the guy lead, leading it all, he was a radio engineering student. So you've got to wonder if he was conducting some form of research using himself and uh, the nine other guys as, and, and girls as bait or maybe like guinea pigs, depending on which story it is you believe. But this week, what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and piece it all together to make one one new story. So the mountain, as I said, was known as um, Collet Cycle. Uh, cycle spelled S-Y-K-H-A-L. Uh, 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 that's back then anyway, but now it's, it's more so now, now, now known as uh, the Olatov Pass. Um, and, you know, these uh, they, they didn't call it the Olatov Pass then because obviously... Dialatov himself was yet to march his newfound uh, rambling partners to their death up a mountain. And the first few days of this expedition, you know, things were going well. It seemed to be going, you know, all above board and that, until one of the fellas took a bit sick and had to turn back. An already sickly man by the name of Yori Yudun, which makes this a proper sort of um, Yudunit story, I guess, because there's a, there's a part of me that believes that he may have actually been Dialatov himself, after you find out what, like, some of the rumours and that around it all. And maybe he took the alias of this person as to not rouse suspicion when he came back, so he could pretend that he he had died, even though he'd led these people to their death. And actually, he came, he came back and was able to, to live a long and fruitful life as a, as a sick man, who may or may not have actually been ill if it wasn't actually him who came back and it was actually Igor pretending to be Yuri Yudin. And he was just pretending to be ill. Like he's trying to get, you know, a card out of the government or some sort of thing. But maybe they don't do that in Russia. I don't know. I don't know what it would be the equivalent over there. I don't know if they have that sort of um, standardised sort of like DLA kind of thing. But I'm not too sure. And it's and it's not, you know, it, it could be through lack of evidence that I don't have the answer to that. Or it could be a lack of me searching for the evidence. It's, it's difficult to ascertain whether or not that they, they could have been the same person in it. But... Like he lived to seventy five in it, which is a good age. Like for a, for a radio engineer, I imagine that's a a a, a reasonable age because it's not it's not exactly a dangerous job, is it? Maybe you'll get the odd headache and that, but and as it's a long time though, seventy five years. Like so, let's say he was about twenty when he went there. Fifty odd years is a, is a long time to feel like you've cheated death by being ill. Though if you are actually Yuri Yudin and Yudin is who he says he was, and if he's not Igor, so if we're taking fact as fact, guys. I do think that fifty odd years he's going to be feeling quite quite guilty about himself, but but also like he he didn't it, it proves that like there's no sort of uh, like final destination rules to life in it, which so he wasn't he didn't cheat death and then he didn't spend the next like fifty years cheating death 
and and but maybe he didn't. That's where Final Destination comes from, which I also found out uh, maybe only last night that Final Destination Five is set just in the build up to the plane crash of Final Destination One. So maybe. He did spend 50-odd years trying to cheat death and all these mad things were happening around him. So possibly there's, there's a way to tie Diolatov Pass. And maybe why that's so so uh, prevalent in conspiracy theory is because of this man cheating death went on to be, you know, he, he was going to be on the plane, possibly for 9-11. He, he, he may have been uh, then going to go and, you know, possibly jump on the subway for 7-7. Um, maybe he was... Uh, Maybe he was in the buildings where Ted Kaczynski was sending his packages to. Who knows? It's it's really hard to tell because, unfortunately, there's nothing out there that says that he was in these locations. And there, there may be. I haven't found it. But anyway, what, it, what, what to me makes it really seem like Yuri could have actually been Igor or, or at least maybe not actually Igor, but maybe Yuri was behind it all is because that... The team had told Yori that they thought that they'd return to a certain point along the trail by the 12th of February, and, and they didn't. Now, according to hikers on the internet, this can be a, a normal thing when you're hiking because, you know, events can happen that cause delays. So, like, you know, maybe they find a nice tree that they like the look of, or they find some magic mushrooms and like, fuck it, let's eat a bunch of these. But it was the height of winter. They're probably not going to find the shrews because they'd be all under the snow unless they found some growing on a tree. Maybe they found some weird form of psychedelic lichen that grows on bark and they're just licking trees. Maybe they just got lost in the woods. Maybe they all died horrific deaths and, and they couldn't they couldn't come back because they were dead. Which is probably the more likely one. But usually from what these hikers say in, in forums and that, they normally a few days, like two or three days after that point where they said they'll be back is where you start to raise the alarm and be like, well, we need to send out people to look for these because, you know, they've, they could be hurt. Something could have happened. Like, yeah, they could. Well, someone could have broke their leg, but they might carry on with the journey and then, you know, leave that person there with someone to look after them or take them back and carry on with the journey. But these had these had been it had been a while man i think it was like they were supposed to be back there on the 12th and by this point it's something like the 23rd 24th so that's like over a week in it like that's a long that seems like a long time to leave someone out in a fucking russian winter with only enough food for them to last a portion of that time it just seems a bit a bit weird a bit suspect do you know no, it's a bit, it's a bit odd, isn't it? It's, it seems a bit harsh. But maybe Yori wasn't a nice person. Maybe that's one of the reasons why they got him, they kicked him away. And he was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I was ill, I was ill." But really, he'd been spending the whole time going, "Oh fucking hell, fucking hell, Alexander, you're, you're getting a bit fat, mate. Are you going to be all right doing this? Like, I, I'm, I don't think you're going to be all right with this, mate. Igor, why'd you walk like that? What's wrong with you? You walk like that fella out of Frankenstein. You know, like that. It could have been something like that. You know, I and. Mean, or maybe he kept doing impressions of Igor from Frankenstein to him. I I don't know. Again, hard to say. But after they'd left it for whatever reason, for like over a week, um, before the search party was organised, they, they did then find a few of them were dead. And it took months as well then to find the rest of them that were dead. But the only reason they even sent out a search party wasn't even because of Yori. So that makes it more suspicious to me, like Yori was covering his tracks, possibly literally by causing an avalanche. Who knows? But the search party was organised by the family of the people that hadn't come back, the, the many families of the people that hadn't come back. Eight families, potentially. Now, the search party, as I just said, did manage to find them, but unfortunately it didn't find them. Find all of them. Like, yeah, they, they eventually found the nine bodies, but 
they were mostly incomplete, like they had missing tongues, missing eyes, skull fragments removed, uh, the odd bit of face, lips, uh, you know, uh, at least, and, and no mention at all of anyone finding or discussing the innards of these people either. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that, you know, we didn't find the lips and they mentioned that, but all the innards were there, so we've not mentioned that the innards were there. But I would think in in a report it would be important to say, oh, they didn't have eyes, they didn't have lips, but they had all their inner organs. Because if someone's going to, you know, go around collecting bits of people, maybe they're going to want a heart and a, and a liver and, a, you know, some intestines and that. I'm not sure, but it seems odd to me that they wouldn't say that they were all there. It, it raises suspicions in my head, but I'll, I'll explain why a little, a little later on. So, out of the nine deaths, it's alleged that six of them passed away from hypothermia and I looked it up, you know, hypothermia is a real thing and it can supposedly set up, set in on your on your body when your, your body temperature drops below 35 degrees, which in itself is terrifying because we're only, what, 37 and a half degrees, which for anyone who's listening overseas, that's that's what, like fucking 100 degrees Fahrenheit to get to get hypothermia, you double it in it and add 30 to get from centigrade to Fahrenheit, I think. Um, but the temperature that night itself was was only supposed to be somewhere between zero and ten degrees, which doesn't sound that cold for up a mountain in the Russian winter. You know, in all honesty, so I'm I'm kind of doubting my source there for the the temperature, unless that temperature was in Fahrenheit, which again, so you take away thirty, would be what minus twenty. You double it, it's minus twenty times minus twenty is that minus what what's that? Is that minus forty? Sorry, my times two. So I think that's minus forty, unless it's zero again. But then the temperature wouldn't make any sense, would it? Because it'd be the colder it gets in Fahrenheit, the warmer it gets in centigrade. So I'm not a mathematician, guys, nor a scientist or a historian. So I can only give you what I can find. Other people have found in it, and other people found a bunch of dead bodies in a creek without the faces attached to them. Anyway, but. I was thinking, though, for hypothermia out there, you know, for any budding perverts out there, hypothermia is great, isn't it? Because, you know, if, you, if you're if you up for a... Well, it's a good excuse, right, for, for different sides of perversion, you know. So you've got you've got the idea that if you are a pervert yourself, you know, in the fact, in the sense that you like to... You don't want to be the voyeur, but you want to, you want to create an experience for the voyeur. And um, they, uh, you know, you, you wear your big coat and that, your big waterproof coat with nothing on underneath. Now, hyperfermia is a good reason for you to possibly get away with taking that coat off in a public place. Because hypothermia causes something called paradoxical undressing, which means that you, you whip your kit off and you show your, you show your, your, your bits to whoever's around. Not like, you know, it doesn't make you have, like, fucking ping-pong bats like a guy at an airport going, ah, look at this, what do you think of this, love? I mean, that's that's all down to your own personal showmanship. But on the other side of perversion, if you just, you know, if you want to see sexual activity as just, a, like, a spectator sport rather than something to actually take part in, then... You know, you've got uh, you've got the whole uh, like uh, like like some people like playing snooker. Some people just like to watch snooker. But I imagine a lot of the people that like to watch snooker also enjoy playing snooker. So if you see sexual activity like a spectator sport as well as a, a participant sport, it's, it's good because it causes, as I say, paradoxical undressing, which makes people strip off to the to the you know to the nutty and. And they're tricked into thinking that they're getting proper hot, so they'll, they'll even fan themselves in that, and you're like, oh, they're, they're getting a bit flush because of me. You know, you can you can imagine whatever you want. 
which you know is great if you're a a straight man and possibly a lesbian woman but i've never actually asked the lesbian lady this so i i, I mean to say lesbian lady sounds redundant but still I, i've never asked one if if paradoxical undressing would be good for them but i i assume it is because we're probably into the same sort of thing because it's going to make the women's nipples go hard in it which it's always nice uh, less pleasurable though from the eye of like maybe a straight woman or possibly a gay fella because you know, the warmth's only an illusion and the body's still going to react to the cold, so there's going to be a fair degree of shrinkage there and, and balls up in the belly, if you know what I mean. So, I mean, unless you're into that, because, you know, different strokes for, for different folks and all that, but, I mean, let's, let's, not, let's not dwell on that, because, you know, like, people died, innit? But how did they die? Well, the other three are said to have died from their injuries, but... I don't understand how they can tell that. I mean, yeah, they were frozen in a, in a creek, potentially, allegedly, and, and that would preserve them to some extent. But what doesn't sit well with me is how the creek was flowing if everything else was covered in snow and frozen. But I looked into it a little bit, and again, I'm not a chemist, but I looked into it a little bit, or a geologist, or, you know, a geographer, or if that's a thing, or a cartographer, you know, but still... I did look into it, and there is large fucking deposits of salt in those mountains, potassium salt specifically, which seem to, to be used and have applications for melting snow and ice, which makes you wonder how is there any snow there in the first place, how is there any snow or ice there in the first place, but maybe it was started running through the river because of the, you know, there's alleged avalanches that were happening, so maybe that caused a landslide, and then it was in the river, melting through the water, you know, dispersing through the water, you know, fucking osmosis, there's a scientific term for you to make you think I know what I'm on about. And the salt passes down the stream, you know, and, and preserving people. But does salt water really preserve a person? So maybe maybe it's got nothing to do with the potassium salts. Now, I did say alleged avalanche there because there's supposed to be no historical record at all of an avalanche ever happening those weeks in that particular area. And according to most experts, it seems the damage to the tent wouldn't have been from an avalanche because it was supposedly the side of the tent that was damaged that was facing the the slant the uphill slant of the mountain that's that's the side of the tent that was ripped which was also like ripped from the inside out so that doesn't really add up to an avalanche really especially facing the avalanche it, but then how do you tell if it's been left there for weeks and there's been winds and stuff like that and animals how do you know that that tent's been ripped from the inside out there's a lot of what ifs and maybes which is what makes it such a such a good a good little topic in it to really like sink our teeth into now the um i don't know what how it, that would like the the rips the, i don't know how the rips would factor in with the hypothermia either like yeah like unless hypothermia itself can make you go like mental and attack your own tent which must be a possibility but there's also then you've got the idea like i brought up before this could have been a fucking psychedelic lichens that they could have been licking off the trees there's also this weird wind that some people believe which i think i'll go on about a bit later but there is a weird wind that can occur that can you know mess with your brain and there is more evidence though i'll stick with the avalanche you know there's there's more evidence to show that this probably wasn't an avalanche and that's the spacing between footprints that were left in the snow because according to some internet sleuths and people at the scene the spacing of the footprints were were too close together you know like how um you know when you you're walking down the street and you see someone and you're like nah, i don't like the look of them because like their eyes are almost touching well, according to these people, like um, researchers and scientists and possibly police officers and, and maybe woodsmen, if that's what they're called, the people that look after the hills, 
they looked at these footsteps and went, mm, I don't like this, they're too close together. Then they weren't running. Which means, like, I, I reckon, well, I reckon, in, in my assumptions, if there's an avalanche, the very least you can try and do is run away. But then you've got the other parts of an avalanche, though, where people say if you do get stuck in an avalanche, like, you don't know which way's up and which way's down. But I reckon if you can fucking, like, wiggle around a little bit and, and make a little bit of air, you know, around your face, maybe you can't see, but you could put your hands, like, above and below your, your face and then spit. If you If the water touches the hand that's above your face... Then you're upside down, aren't you? Surely you can use gravity like that, but again, not too sure. Not a scientist, but you you would think, just using common sense, that if there was going to be footprints in the snow uh, during an avalanche, which again suspicious because an avalanche would probably fill in the footprints, I would imagine, but the footprints would be going away from the hill. Maybe towards the trees, so they could, well, according to the internet sleuths, towards the trees for safety. But in my opinion, if there's a big fucking avalanche, no real point in running. And no point running towards the trees, because that's just an extra thing to be fucking ripped out of the ground and fucked towards you by the oncoming wave of fucking snow. So, there's no real way to win there, but I think the footprints are important because... It must prove there wasn't an avalanche or there was somebody else there on the scene well long after the deaths. Because are you trying to tell us that these fucking, these snowy mountain hills didn't have snow in the snowy mountains for a week and a half? You know, it doesn't make sense, does it? Because if there was snow, then it'd fill the footprints. They're not going to, the footprints aren't going to stay there imprinted in the snow. It's going to, surely it would fucking fill in fill in the gaps or the avalanche would fill in the gap because it's fucking snow coming down destroying trees but leaving footprints kind of like how with like 9-11 where the the fucking the passport was just at the bottom unburnt and all that of the the person who happened to fucking take the plane over if i've remembered that correctly it's just a little bit sits a little bit weird with a few people now these 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 footprints are yet again another another source of contention because at some points, there's some footprints where there's only one shoe. Now, that personally, you know, I always bring a little bit of Catholicism into this, don't I? And, and that reminds me of the those poems that they tell kids at school about, you know, oh, you know, you were, I was looking at the footprints in the sand and where were you when I was at my hardest, when, you know, when I was fucking 23 and I was a drunk and I was, I was fighting homeless people in, in car parks for the pound coin that I'd found on the floor and a, and a bag full of sig dimps that I was going to go home and feed to my nan's cat for a laugh, but I wanted them, but you wanted them, and where were you, God, where were you, like, where were you, and he's like, well, it was at that point where I carried you, my son, you know, they're them poems, now, that, that kind of reminds me of this, because, you know, there's one footprint, but what if, now, this is going to get a little bit hard to follow, but now, let's say that that one shoe print is actually, it was actually God, let's take into a fact, maybe it was God, because, you know, God's supposed to be everywhere and with us all the time. And what if, when when they say we were built in God's image, what if we once were built in God's image and it was a snowy place or it was a sandy place? A lot of people believe it could have been a sandy place, but it could have also been a snowy place, which is a very similar terrain. Now, I would argue humans aren't specifically built for climbing desert sands or walking through snowy mountains. But what if originally, when we were made by God, we were made with, like, caterpillar tracks... But we still had feet on us, but they were on the caterpillar tracks and they were like a couple metres apart or like a, a few feet apart. 
Uh, pardon the pardon the, the extra use of the word foot there to confuse things, but let's say you know there's 18 inches or so between each foot on these naturally occurring caterpillar tracks on the human, and that's maybe where our arms and legs have then like detached from our bodies, and that's why we've now got a rib cage because them ribs used to connect our arms to our legs and we'd spin round in like circles with these extra feet that would grip into the snow or the sand in order to drag us along and then God was like right nah this is you know this is mental I'm going to involve in, in, in make evolution now because I can already see in the future and there's going to be this guy that's going to invite invo uh, invent a telephone Alexander Graham Bell you know and um how are you going to be able to pick up the phone? So you, I need, I need to evolution. We'll have evolution. We'll make evolution a thing. And I can already see it's going to cause problems, but we're going to need it because it's, it's just not going to work. This, this isn't something that could work forever. Once you find out about tarmac, you don't really need these caterpillar tracks anymore. So you need to be able to change and adapt. And, and maybe that's where, maybe that's where that came from. Because, but unfortunately, though, like uh, realistically, like God was nowhere to be seen at this time because. You know, these all these people died fucking horrific deaths under suspicious circumstances, up a mountain, miles away from anyone that ever loved them, in the freezing cold. It's not very godly, although it kind of is very godly as well, though, if you believe some of the stories of the Old Testament. So, you know, he swings and roundabouts, maybe, is that the right phrase? Something else, though, that makes the death seem a little more like hypothermia more than an avalanche is the, the footprints indicating that they only walked away rather than being further apart, like someone sprinting away from an avalanche, as if that would help. Cause, and I guess the very fact that there were, as I said, still footprints there, that's got to mean that the avalanche couldn't have happened, or if it did, it, it only reached a certain point, and they must have looked at it, it happened, and under shock, they just went, huh, fucking hell, fancy that. And it just stops dead at the feet, and they just walk away, or walk up it. like a, But you'd have to be mental to walk up a fresh avalanche, I would have thought. Now... We do know that there's about 23 days where the nine mountaineers were unaccounted for. So, did they just get lost? It seems it seems unlikely, but, I mean, could they have gotten lost? They had, and had no access to the food, the compasses, the maps, the cameras. But they did find the cameras, and I think they found a compass on one of the dead guys, and a camera on one of the dead guys, which I don't think they ever released the photos from. I don't think they released the photos from any of them. But they found the diaries, cameras, satchels and stuff like that spread around the mountain from them, supposedly. But if they had no access to the food or the tent or anything like that, maybe they resorted to eating each other. Which, it wouldn't be the first time a bunch of people up a cold hill have eaten each other like we last week in um truth seeking we i spoke a little bit at the start about the donna party and how they uh they uh they resorted to eating one another but what what's weird though there is that the the area now where dialatov pass is is supposed to be um a good ski resort a good skiing place it's, it's got good you know good good snow nice nice snow for skiing and snowboarding and that supposedly and as I said, I've not I've not actually looked at a map of this, which is an oversight on my part. But now, what's also weird is where the Donner Party died. There's a there's a fucking there's a ski resort, or supposedly a Disney ski resort, been built there. So what if where you get a good ski resort where there's a lot of dead people kind of thing? What if that has to have a high concentration of that for some form of weird ritualistic or magical energy to be there? And then maybe why? What if that's how they then name the slopes after colours? You know, for the gradient of danger. So you could have, you know, like your red slope is your easy slope. That's you know, and then your your yellow slope is uh, your your slightly harder slope. 
uh, maybe two people died in that region on that on that distance there in that you know in that trek um then you've got maybe what green green slopes could be a little bit harder but still reasonably okay for the amateur uh, brown brown slopes four people have died on the brown slope on that on that trek that mountaineering trek there um, and then it gets a bit harder then with the the blue slopes where it's getting a bit dangerous now like five five there's the ghosts of five dead explorers along that along that there mountain trek there and then you've got the pink one which is one off from the the artist which you know maybe maybe a multiple of six uh, have died in that area in that vicinity there before the, the track was made and it's a way to dedicate it to them you know and then obviously the hardest one would be the black slope which which is you know maybe seven seven people died there so then again that kind of falls apart with the whole like the idea of that eight people actually died in this area but what if it was one person died here three people died there and and fucking four people died over there and then they thought well we've got gaps here and we could we could build on this and, and or maybe they just had you know one person died on this area in the red slope and then seven people died on the black slope but then you could have you know like a, a red or you could you know you could sort of it gives you a limit as well on your ski resort, done it really? A good limitation on your on your um, how many slopes you could have, because you could have like one after the other. You could have like a red slope, a black slope, 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 and so on until you've accounted for all 147 deaths on your on your skiing course. But then, I mean, I've gotten a little bit. But the, the 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 these people though that were eating themselves like I've got no no basis for truth there for 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 source of information about the the different ski resorts and how they do name the the increasing dangerous slopes. But what the, the people that did eat each other at the Donner Party right? They they did it as a means of trying to keep alive and keep him warm. So what if these people did it as a means of trying to keep alive and keep him warm? And then. They kind of, as they sort of were like, oh, fuck, what have we done? Like, fucking, like, Alexander's there looking at Igor going, oh, fucking hell, you know, he's got a good good eye on him. I might have a bit of that. Because, you know, if you are trapped out at sea, one of the best ways of um, hydrating yourself is to catch fish and eat their eyeballs. Supposedly, I've read that somewhere. That might keep someone alive. Um, that That's supposed to keep you alive because it keeps you hydrated because you can't drink the salt water because, you know, you'll die quicker. But apparently, the fish's eyeballs are a really good source of actual water maybe human eyeballs are as well because maybe the salt was a bit salt the snow was a bit salty from all the potassium in there maybe there's radioactive materials in the ground there as well i think i read something about there being the possibility the potential for that around the area but then when they vet these bodies maybe they they dump them in the river in the creek in a weird panic hoping to wash away any evidence and to wash away the sins of what they've done you know the fucking hell i vet these people who were my new friends and fucking hell i was hanging out the back of her last night and and now I'm 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 tucking into a face. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they it's gonna cause a bit of a bit of uh, a dirty feeling amongst yourself in it. Away in a way. And as I, as I said before, like the facial features of many of them had been removed. So what if that was though some form of shape shifting alien looking to make a new outfit in order to infiltrate the local military base? Because there was a there was a low very local military base to where this happened. And I know it might seem far fetched and. There were reported sightings of orange glowing lights in the sky as well. Maybe these were spacecraft coming down. Maybe this is what the aliens had actually planned for Roswell 12 years prior, but either the US managed to shoot them down because they'd come down in an open desert, or maybe they just happened to crash into the ground in, in, the, in America, whereas they'd had 12 years here to prepare for the next attempt and thought, right, we've got enough, we've got enough fuel, 
to reach this height above sea level so we need a mountain and if we need it to be kind of discreet where people aren't going to really see us we've already been in touch with the military guys there they know we're coming these ones now they know we're coming we've learned from our mistakes we don't want to just turn up there because then they rip us apart and we, we, he's never coming home and uh, we'll get into that in a minute but you know what i mean like maybe they, they prepared for it but what if there's more to it than that what if the aliens at roswell were actually the tall whites that we've been learning about in past episodes so to give you a bit of maths behind it 12 years on earth is apparently the same as 19 and a half years on venus the home of the hollow venusians who live inside the hollow venus just like the possibly the sasquatches live inside our hollow earth maybe uh, possibly with nazis maybe with not nazis maybe with reptilians but we'll we'll focus on the hollow venusians just for a minute because let's let's make it seem you know a bit real realistic now the venusian explorers when they came to and caused the crash at Roswell, they may maybe just been out performing a simple task, you know, scouting Earth, delivering a message, and then, you know, they never came home. What if one of the pilots of the so-called weather balloon that came down in the desert, or, or actual, you know, Venusian spacecraft, dependent on who you believe or want to want to listen to, what if one of the pilots had a baby at home, and let's say that that baby was about one years old when the, during the time of the crash, meaning that this other parent then had to raise that baby on their own, making the baby grow up to be spiteful or at the very least inquisitive towards the earthlings on earth right the average age of adulthood is about 18 in it so let's imagine it is on venus as well because why not it makes it easier except on venus though it takes 19 and a half years to cover the same amount of time as it does on earth for the 12 year gap in between the two crashes so let's say it took the the newly adult venusian uh, venusian year and a half to to maybe a year, a Venusian year, to a Venusian year and a half, to to get to Earth, which is only about a year in Earth time, like give or take a couple lunar cycles either way, but I mean, and that's a lot of time that they can be winding themselves up on the flight on the way here, you know, because their, their mum's told them, you know, oh, your dad's, your dad's a piece of shit, you know, he, he said he was going to work, but he never came home, and you know, he's fucking, he's off out fucking these earthlings and, you know, because apparently they put out and, and he's saying, oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't do these, you know, these things that the earthlings do because he was sending a, you know, sending a text on the way there winding up, you know, get her jealous so that when he gets back, she'll, she'll really go to town on him. Yeah, that was his hope anyway, but it backfired because he never came home. He died in a, in a crash or burnt up in the atmosphere or got ripped apart at Area 51. Who knows? But either way, maybe the, uh, when they reach the earth this this venusian teenager now at this point let's say a 19 year old venusian hollow venusian and they scan the earth for life signs and found a bunch of people alone near the military base where they'd planned to land they realized oh that'll be a good group to harvest i'll harvest them so i can make myself some skin suits maybe though maybe they use the the body parts to initiate cloning or to full-on graft some skin suits to themselves and I mean, this isn't hard to imagine because some of you may have already be aware of that. Americans had met um, Val Valiant Thor in 1957. So maybe the kid actually managed to get to Earth on Val's ship and, you know, um, then had a job where he had to keep in space to, to keep Dog or Whistle Dixie, whatever you call it, in case, you know, those pesky Martians showed up or the reptilians made a return possibly from deeper space. Or at least, you know, that's what Val thought he was going to be doing. Because we know he couldn't have taken Val's ship and used that because Val's Val's main ship, at least, because that was located on a, I can't remember what lake, but it was located on a lake somewhere in America. But what if it wasn't, what if it wasn't actually aliens, though? What else could it have been that caused these people to die? Well, have you ever heard of the Menk? They're that 
area of the world's answer to the Sasquatch, a Bigfoot or Yeti-like species that's depicted as an angry, ferocious-looking creature, as compared to, like, the weed-smoking version of Sassy and his mates in the Big Les show, or Harry and the Hendersons, or the Yetis in that Littlefoot film that I think, um, was it Common? Did Common voice him, or did a song for it? Either way, but... These, these these things, the menk, they're, they're vicious, so it, it could be a single menk that decimated the entire group. But what evidence of that is there? Well, I've always imagined the Sasquatches to be strong, you know, because of their size, and at least one of the bodies was described as suffering from an impact that would normally be seen by, uh, like, forensics or the, the pathologists or whatever when someone gets fucking cracked by a speeding car, you know. And that, to me... That sounds a lot like a slap from a yeti to me. And it would also explain the lack of facial features in the victims because as humans, when, when you know we uh, we kill someone, we, we take teeth. But the possibly interdimensional Sasquatch species, they might not have a use for teeth because if the drawings of the menk are anything to go off, I reckon the mates would just fucking laugh at them when they tried showing off a human molar. Like, oh, that doesn't look very dangerous. What, did you kill a small cow? But an eyeball or lips, that, oh, that's not something to be shrugged off at because that's fucking mental to grab. Especially, like, if the fucking menk took it and collected a random collection of these facial features from all these strangers and attached them to some form of piece of tree bark to make some form of uh, avant-garde offering to their leader or to simply put on the wall of their burrow to the hollow earth, you know, back to Agartha. There's like a warning sign or something, like keep out of my swamp sort of thing. Now, the Sasquatch creatures are also, in conspiracy law, cryptid zoology, they're always associated, not always, but a lot of the time, they're associated with lights in the sky too, so what if those lights are just our way of, of witnessing interdimensional travel? Maybe that's how they burst through this plane of existence, but... What if the menk and the aliens of the visiting UFOs are actually at war with one another and have always been at war with one another using Earth and our plane of existence on Earth? Maybe they're at war over us as humans as a resource or we're seen maybe as little more than like fucking goats and pigeons in a war zone like how, how I imagine goats and pigeons are seen in war zones on Earth. You know, it's just like, oh, it's just a fucking pigeon in the way. You know, don't don't worry about blowing the pigeon up. They think, oh, don't worry about blowing the people up. You know, we're, I'm more bothered about we need to kill that yeti. Except they're aliens saying it, so it'd probably be more like... Like that, and the yetis would probably speak with a, with a bit of a gruff kind of thing like that, you know, and make the throats hurt as they're talking for like an hour at once. And and then the aliens are like, oh, we're fucking... We're bored of this. This yeti just keeps fucking talking nonsense, fucking killing with the space laser and then they, they, they fire the space laser but actually it kills like fucking nine randomers on a mountain it's it's hard to it's hard to know for sure but like if if we are seen as little more than the wildlife the local fauna to these conflicting tribes of cryptozoological creatures in a way that could make the menk our guardians in it like the menk have got stories not like that they sit around fires and tell but there's, there are stories of the menk that reach up to like a thousand miles away from the location of the now known the Alatov pass incident and now that seems like quite a long way away especially through the snow but if we bear in mind that the very people that died managed to also walk a mile in possibly a night of very heavy snow if it was an avalanche with with their short human legs and maybe a lack of food then a thousand miles for the long-legged cryptid is, is nothing, especially when there's no time frame to attach to it. And imagine walking a mile in the snow, mate. That'd be like walking a mile, except through really fucking heavy polystyrene. But... 
but why would these creatures even bother to tra traverse like a fucking a, a thousand miles, a kilometer? Let's call it a kilometer over mountains like that. Well, it wouldn't be a kilometer, would it? Because that's not a thousand, a kilo, a kilo mile. I know that's obviously mixing up me fucking things, but there must be a word for a thousand miles. Like, uh, you know, uh, let's let's. Why would the why why would why would uh, why would a mink travel a thousand miles over mountains though? Like it it seems bizarre, doesn't it? But if we take into into account a possibly very close relative of both ours and the mink, known as the mountain gorilla, a species that is known for its ability to camouflage and also for travelling miles throughout its life and never having a specific territory of their own, that makes them just like the mink. A couple other things that tie them together as well, but something else that helps confirm the existence of the mink is actually a Russian scientist who's proven that a man-like mammal is living in that area, at least according to a couple of the tabloid papers I found on the internet. And I think the scientist himself was from the the Hydrometeorological Institute, but I, I don't know for certain if those two notes are actually connected, because I haven't wrote a sentence with it, I've just wrote Russian scientist and then an arrow to it saying Hydrometeorological hydro Institute. But if they are then that proves that the messages that we were getting from the last Airbender film about, what, 10 weeks ago could be true, that there is actually a species of creature living inside the moon and the Earth's waterways that are both possibly interdimensional. The mink could be interdimensional and they're studied by a place that sounds like it's associated with both water and space. And I think it's fucking mad, mate, how all these things link together, innit? Like, I don't know what you're reckoning, innit? But I think it's fucking weird, mate. Now, this scientist figured out that these creatures existed. I think it was because of... I think it was this guy. He found there was a piece of hair or some chunk of hair in a cave known as Azaskaya Cave. A-Z-A-S-S-K-A-Y-A Cave. Most mink, though, as I said, are said to be found like a thousand miles away in Mount Shariya. S-H-O-R-I-Y-A. But... They could cut through the mountains, I guess, or, you know, travel underneath them like the Bigfoot of North America is said to do through the, the tunnels of Hollow Earth, if they, the mink do have access to the Hollow Earth. Um, we can also use the mountain gorillas to tie together the idea of an interdimensional war being fought on our plane of existence by the Sasquatch of the mountains and reptilian aliens, so maybe not the Venusians versus the mink, but maybe the reptilians versus the mink. Just, just like in how America and like Russia tend to now fight each other, but never really fight each other in either's land. It's always in someone else's country, like that kind of thing. So instead of fighting it in space, because you know, well, we know the men can't get to space, and, and the reptilians they don't want the reptilians coming into Hollow Earth, so they fight it on a sort of a a neutral ground kind of thing. Like how when you go to like um, Games Workshop and that, you know, the fat lads in there and the the greasy girls that go there and that. They're 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 not they don't they don't settle their differences outside in the car park, like reprobates. You know they they set up the table and they're like right I, I know I owe you a fiver, but if you can beat me here with me orcs, then then it's yours. You know, but it's got nothing to really do with the orcs. It's just a means of settling the settling the problem. If if that helps build the analogy, you know. But what what does help build this analogy of the the reptilians and the mink? is because mountain gorillas are apparently scared of certain types of reptile. And maybe, could that be a, an indication of the transference of hereditary fears? 
in the same way that, you know, if like a mum's scared of a spiders, then there's a good chance that a daughter's probably going to be scared of spiders too because fears are passed on genetically and hereditary, like a disease. But maybe the gorillas, though, aren't at all related to the mink that decimated the Dialatov Pass explorers. Maybe the mink are more closely related to the giants that we learned about ages ago. Maybe they're just giants and in camouflage because if you think about it, they're usually said to be hairy and, and walk weird, but some human hunters, as in, you know, humans that hunt, like Craven from Marvel, though Craven does kill people as well, not, not a great example, but uh, what's that PlayStation game, Caleb something or other, the hunting game, either way, you know, like hunt, humans that hunt things, not humans that hunt other hunters. But as it not as in like you know like a shape shifting reptilian alien that would hunt humans or predator. Anyway, the human hunters that they'll tend to wear like fucking ghillie suits and that in it, and maybe even a pair of stilts or something if they fancy a challenge. You know, whether to balance the gun or the bow and arrow, or maybe you know maybe they do it to see over the taller grasses when you say it out loud and actually think about it. But these furs that we see on these creatures could be from the mammoths of Agartha that Richard E. Bird saw in Antarctica, maybe even the furs of the long-since-extinct species of bear, known as cave bears, that was known to reside in this area of the world where this took place, or possibly from the giant sloth, because maybe they can, you know, they can travel through the Earth, so why not be able to travel through time if they can travel, one, through solid matter, interdimensionally, why can't they travel through time, go back, kill a giant sloth on the other side of the world, and come back to it, but we'll stay away from... Time travel, because I mean, I don't, I don't want to start saying the Menka like Al Balik and confusing everything and making this, making this episode, you know, in the world of nonsense and mystical shite. I want, I want to try and keep with what we know. So maybe these victims of the interdimensional warfares, the 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 collateral damage, if you like, were the proto hippies trying to stop the two sides from killing each other by, you know, throwing themselves into harm's way to obviously to no avail. And it's hard to know who's winning this war because. According to Russia's leading researcher, apparently called uh, Igor Burtsev, there are at least 30 menk in existence to this day. But I've got no idea if that's if that's hardly any menk or if that's a lot of menk, because I've got no great frame of reference for it, unfortunately. Like, if someone said to me, I found 30 mountain gorillas, I'd be like, I don't... I mean, is that good? If they said they found... Obviously, if they say they found, I found 30 mountain gorillas, you know, in the fucking bottom floor of car the bottom floor of Primark or something, I'd be like, oh, fucking hell, you know, what are they doing there? That's a lot of gorillas to be there. But if they said I found 30 mountain gorillas in, in a rainforest, I'd be like, oh, that's a shame, innit? You'd think there'd be more. But with Menk, I haven't got a clue, mate. And maybe, though, maybe, maybe the Menk and the, the aliens have laws in place or treaties or something, in, you know, in place to uh, stop the needless killing of humans by the aliens and the Menk, just just like how we protect the whales around um, Antarctica and around the world with the International Commercial Whaling Ban of 1986. But maybe the Menk or the aliens, uh, maybe they managed to get around not commercially hunting the humans and instead they hunt them for scientific purposes by, by you know, abducting them for probing, sexual deviancy and, and scientific analysis. Maybe this is why there are often Sasquatches seen near abduction sites because maybe they're trying to keep people away from the dangerous aliens so that they don't get stuff shoved up the bums when they don't want it. Uh, and maybe that's why they kept away from the area you know, instead of searching for the people, this is the, the, the search parties now and that, 
when they hadn't returned by the twelfth because they knew this was going on. So they maybe they thought we'll stay away because you know we don't want to we don't want to encroach on that war there. We'll wait till the fights die down and then we'll go off and gather our dead like they did in World War One when the shooting and stuff. They'd be like, right, you know, give us ten minutes to drag the dead guys back, and then maybe that's what they were trying to do. And the reptilians and the the mink were just looking at each other going, sig break, you know, fag break. And they're like, yeah, all right. And, they, you know, they put down the guns and they, they go and stand in, you know, literally in no man's land because no man can go there and because otherwise they'll get killed, you know, by a fucking reptilian laser beam. It's kind of thing, you know. I mean, I don't know if this is if this is the reason or, or not the reason. Like, I mean, prove to me it's not me, you know. Uh, let's have a song anyway. This is uh, Drugs in a Suitcase by Chris Webby. So that was my overriding theory of, of what happened at the Dyolotov Pass, but others put the deaths down to a multitude of reasons from military tests of new weaponry, both like microwave weaponry and radioactive weaponry, causing people to go mental. But, as I said at the start, there is apparently a naturally occurring phenomena that will cause people to actually go mental for a little bit, and it will make them go crazy, and it's a wind whistling through the mountains, so, you know, you've got, you've got like, the hills have eyes and the walls have ears, and now... Mountains have like little whispering, puckering lips, like a, like a cat's arsehole or a dog's arsehole, you know, and it, it needs very specific circumstances to happen. But some experts feel like it could happen within a few mile radius of where these very deaths occurred back in the 1950s. Some people at the time actually stated that the death was caused by a compelling natural force, which, to me and many others, I'm sure means menk. But to these guys, it, it now means these whistling winds, or actually, catabonic winds. It's, uh, uh, you know, at the very least. And now catabonic winds have also killed eight other... Well, I can't remember if it's... Cat catabonic winds is like a really fucking strong wind that seems to come out of nowhere. But I can't remember the name of these, uh, like these whispering winds. I say whispering winds because obviously, like, I imagine it gets, you know, in your head and you're like, run down the hill, pull naked, go out and do it, slap Alexander in the face his eye out, eat his eye, the moisture, hydrate, 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 you know, that's, that's what I'm imagining these winds sound like, rather than just hearing, like that, you know, in your ears, I, I imagine it's like a voice in your head, either way, some form of mad wind killed eight people in a mountain range in Sweden too, in, in, um, I think it was 1978, which again, is almost 20 years after Dyolotov Pass, which itself was nearly 20 years after Roswell. So maybe there is an alien connection or a naturally occurring destructive power that didn't have a name until the term catabonic winds was coined. Maybe it's got something to do with solar activity. I don't know. Some of the people, though, that died in the Ural Mountains back in the 50s, they were found wearing the clothes of some of the other dead people. Many have assigned this, you know, to the cold weather and hypothermia. But there is one theory out there that claims that the local military were experimenting with something called parachute mines, a form of explosive that seems to explode before it hits the ground. So it's basically just a, a, a bad bomb, I guess. But these people could have just timed the journey really poorly and got caught in a flurry of shrapnel and fireballs. The explosions would explain all the orange balls seen by the police officer at the time called Lev Ivanov on the night of the alleged deaths, but he wasn't actually able to tell anyone about it until 1990 because back in the 50s he was told to dismiss the claims by high-up military officials, but there were hikers about 31 miles away who also claimed to have witnessed orange balls glowing in the sky on what they think was the night of the deaths. So if these parachute mines were experimental, maybe some of them exploded in the air whilst they were too close to one another because they might have had, like, 
been testing out sort of like a proximity device on them which made them blow up and maybe a chain reaction of big explosions that could be seen for miles around making fucking bits of metal fly down and take out lips and eyes and chunks of head and ripping people's hair off like a fucking like a pervert in a fucking swimming bath changing room you know but again i don't know much about explosives but if they did wake up to these sounds and and found pieces of metal inside the, the tent you know or you know maybe the tent they just exploding just outside the tent maybe they'd picked up these pieces of metal and that would explain the burn marks found on the, the dead people's hands only on a few of the hands because maybe they picked it up and went ah fucking hell another person went what and they caught it and went oh shit and everyone else was like right don't touch the metal it's really hot do you know what i mean like that that could have happened it would also explain you know why the tent was ripped maybe they did took a piece of it like ah while it burns and cut the tent and got out because it or it came through the tent ripped all and they were like fucking hell what the fuck was that get out the other side because maybe they thought possibly that they were being shot at or something they wouldn't know what was going on would they it still doesn't explain the slow walk away though because i would i would have thought if there's a if there's a load of explosions you're probably gonna panic and run but it would explain the lack of shoes and clothes for some of them because if they panicked at that point and just ran then maybe that's why they slowed down pretty quick because they, they got cold. So maybe that's why there wasn't many like footsteps indicating that they ran. Now these parachute mines could also explain why the organs weren't spoken of, like I said at the start, you know, and why body features were missing. I'd initially thought that one of them had possibly, you know, maybe eaten the brain of another one, and that's why the skull fragments had been removed from the head, because, you know, like a brain's got to be pretty well insulated anyway for it to survive, and maybe that means it would stay warmer and actually stay liquidy and soft and able to eat when the body starts to freeze, rather than other parts of the body. But it's, it's hard to know that for sure, but if these experimental fragments had ended up in the lips, eyes and inner organs of these people, then maybe the whoever was in charge of this experiment just removed the, the fragments of tissue with the fragments of minds inside, to test what effects they had on, on flesh and maybe just to cover up the experimental technology in case it impacted on the Cold War that was going on at the time. But then again, what if Cold War is simply called that because it was a war fought between the Menk and the reptilian aliens who were fighting atop snowy mountains? If you're enjoying this, mate, don't forget to give us a, a review and not on Apple if you can. Otherwise, you know, send it to... A, if everybody who's listening sent it to a couple mates, right? I might be able to get towards getting paid to make these for adverts and that. Otherwise, you know, no worries if not. You know, there's there's people giving money on the Patreon, which is a link to that in the below as well. Um, the money from that goes towards hosting this and hosting Truth Seeking. Give Truth Seeking a listen as well. There'll be a link to that below, possibly. Otherwise, just have a look in my Linktree link. More recently, right? Um, people have come out now. Well, this is what I mean. The new developments. Unfortunately, the new developments. There's not. There's not a great deal to it. I thought there'd be a lot more on it, but. They've come out and said that on the people that died on Death Mountain, which is also, you know, known by the locals as you don't be messing mountain. They reckon it's because of something called a slab avalanche, which is caught well, they they claim, experts now claim that this avalanche was caused by the hikers digging themselves a shelter in the snow and some high winds that made the snow drop on them and killed them. So in the summarised words, in my own words, summarising what these modern scientists are saying about these poor deceased dead individuals. It was their own fault, which, 
feels like a really good way to stop people from blaming Russian scientists or the local military or from even considering a war amongst aliens between the mink. It seems like a really good way to cover it up and it seems a bit harsh because in today's climate it seems wrong to be going, oh, they're the victim of something that happened there, but, you know, it's it's their fault, you know, or they died up a mountain, but, you know, they, they were asking for it, you know. You know, you if you're going to go up that mountain with a skirt that shows your ar- the bottom of your arse cheeks off, you're asking to die of hypothermia up there. Do you know what I mean? It's fucking mad. Or if you know, or you know, if you will take your shovel into the bottom of that mountain and dig a cave where there shouldn't be a cave with all that snow above it, gravity will gravity will have you. Gravity's going to have it, and then you're going to come back at us. You're going to haunt us and tell me that you know, oh, gravity did this, gravity did that. You know, it just seems fucking mad, mate. So it makes it seem like the really, the art there is something being covered up here, especially when you learn that, like I said, supposedly Russians cover this up, and you can't really find much about it on Russian internet, but. I've never been on Russian internet. I mean, like, I have. I've been on, like, a fucking Russian news thing, apparently, which I've probably spoken about before, which was really weird. They didn't tell me that was going out live. And I was just swearing my head off and fucking telling jokes for the sake of it, just taking the piss, trying to make the guy laugh. And, uh, yeah, but regardless, that's nothing to do with any of this. So there's no real conclusion this week, though, from this. Hopefully it was still interesting. Now, later on tonight, we've got a bit of HDR. Um, I don't think there's going to be any Jimmy tonight unless he's sent in a show already. So I'm guessing Gary will be taking over doing his bits tonight. Um, now, if you enjoy the Here's House, go and find them on Spotify, mate. Go and find them on Spotify, Apple and all that. You know, Deezer, Apple, wherever the fuck, wherever you listen to stuff, YouTube even. And spread them around for me because it'd be nice to know that people are finding them. And, you know, then hopefully people might find Threshold through that as well. It's a nice little five-minute thing you can share or relive, you know, your favourite fucking sociopathic life advice from hopefully your favourite taxidermist. Now... Also, speaking of taxidermy, at this very minute, I've got some rat's arms on springs that I call my portable high-five machine. So, if anyone's interested in them, go to worldaroundyou.com. And I am thinking to myself that I've had a little bit of an oversight there. So, I'm hoping by the time that this goes out for in the live chat, I can show you a thing of it. But I'm going to try and make something that I'm going to call a ratapult, which is, as the name suggests, a catapult. But instead of like how your average catapult is made from bits of leftover feline this one's going to be made over from bits of leftover rodent that i've got and i'm going to try and make it so that you can fucking fling something at maybe at a target or something i'm not too sure but that's something and i haven't really got anything else to say if i was to say any more i'd purely be padding the show for the next what 30 seconds so i can try but i mean what's the point so i'll fucking i'll see you in a bit guys thanks for listening stick around for some other bits see you in a bit Thanks for listening, man. If you've enjoyed the show, give it a share online, you know, share it in your Instagram stories from Spotify, send it to a mate, talk about it on social media, tweet me, mate, tweet me. When I get 2,000 followers on Twitter, I'll be doing a taxidermy giveaway, so, you know, that's something for you, innit? That's a little something. At World Around You, same as the name of the show. I'll see you in a bit, mate.